Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What's up, Browns fans? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown, your weekend edition. Happy New Year, first of all. As you listen to this over the weekend, the new year has kicked in. I hope your 2021 to 2022 went fantastic. Watching some college football looks like Cincinnati as we record this podcast has met their uh, untimely demise here as the SEC reigns on. And uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to watch Ohio State tonight, uh, 5 o'clock Rose Bowl kick out in uh, Pasadena against Utah. So get yourself set up for that. And we have an exciting weekend of NFL going on. I mean, we all know what's on the line for the Steelers, the Browns, the Ravens and Bengals. All the teams are alive here. Everything truly hinges on Cincinnati, Kansas City. If that game goes to Kansas City, then it opens the floodgates for everybody to have a shot at the division. So we will all be keen focused on that specifically. But we still have to preview a game that's going to happen Monday night, no matter what we do. So I wanted to bring on my favorite Pittsburgh follow, Nick Faribault. Nick, how are you, man? I'm doing really well, Jake. Thanks for having me on. I've been on here a few times. It's always great to come on over here and, and talk some Steelers-Browns, you know, rivalry back in style. And it's been here for about two or three years now, and I'm so glad it is. It's uh, Yeah, it's fun, man. It's more fun when the Browns actually bring some some real-life competition to this whole thing. It's The first matchup was interesting. I think it's indicative of where the two teams are, both teams struggling offensively putting out their good defense still uh real quick though i gotta ask you man you you've been flying all over the you were where were you you were at the out was it the alamo bowl or where were you at that no it wasn't the alamo bowl it was was uh, it the, the peach, peach bowl? bowl yeah peach it was at the bowl. peach bowl right running on fumes flew back overnight right is that how it went for Pitt? yeah so uh i got in to atlanta on the 29th so i got in there on wednesday night slept there woke up i don't know eight nine and and obviously i didn't sleep the rest of the day prepping, you know, doing stuff. Uh, I called the game for, for WPTS radio there for Pitt, um, and, and we called it, and uh, we had a great call and everything, but we didn't get back to, you know, after post-game pressers and after the walk back to the hotel from Mercedes-Benz Stadium, didn't get back till 1 a.m., had to catch a 5.15 flight that connected from Atlanta to Miami and then back up to Pittsburgh. It was a lot. So, yeah, I ran on fumes, and I've had about three hours of sleep overall in the past I don't know, 36 hours or so it's been a lot man traveling all over the uh the, the I, yeah, man. eastern I seaboard could, here i could imagine i mean if you didn't know nick host locked on pit uh which is a locked on network he covers the pit uh college football team so if you have any interest in kenny pickett i'm sure they'll cover it there for you if you want to go check out his pod there uh, among other things he writes at pittsburgh sports now covering the steelers and Let's dive into this thing. There's a lot going on. I'm not going to do my traditional podcast here where we cover the team. We've done this. I've done it before. Uh, did it early in the year when we talk about Pitt. And we, you and I connect Nick before the year and we've talked through this. I want to ask you a series of interesting questions about the Steelers like now and where they're going. Because, yes, we all expect, hopefully, fingers crossed, to still have the division at stake on Monday night, all of that. But there's transition coming for the Steelers, as we know Ben has hinted, not officially said, but hinted that it's going to be his last game in Heinz Field, barring they don't make the playoffs, uh, but his last regular season game at home. So things are shifting. So, like, I want to first open it up to you, Nick. Talk about Ben, uh, the emotional sort of roller coaster of a guy who's been with your franchise for 18 years. Some rocky, t- rocky times in the early 
you know, 2010s and all of that. And I just want to open it up because I think it's an interesting conversation to have about Ben's career and what it's all meant to Pittsburgh. Well, I think it, when you look at Pittsburgh's kind of arc overall in, in their franchise history, you know, they, the 70s were obviously the Golden Age. They won four Super Bowls. The 80s were a complete dark, glooming time. And then, you know, Bill Cowher comes in, gets into a Super Bowl. They lose that game. The 90s, though, they never really had a quarterback. And Ben was the first franchise quarterback they had since Terry Bradshaw. So this is a significant guy, a significant piece. Really, I think the interesting thing about it is a, a very large portion of Steeler fans only know Ben Roethlisberger. They don't really know Tommy Maddox. They don't know Neil O'Donnell. They don't know Cordell Stewart. They only know Ben Roethlisberger. So this is a, this is a huge period of transition. And obviously Ben, you know, doing what he's done in Pittsburgh with two Super Bowls and three appearances and all the, the moments that he's had over the years, over these 18 years, even, even you know, the last two years, even though things haven't been, you know, as good as they were when he was, at the top of his game, you've had those moments where you saw old Ben peek through. Um, the Colts game last year really speaks to me about, you know, every now and then the guy still has a little bit of magic, even if he's not playing at, at the high level that you, you've come to expect of him. So so this is a guy that, man, it means so much. He's probably – I think he's the best quarterback in franchise history, perhaps the most significant player to ever walk through the doors uh, in the Steelers organization. He really rekindled this – kind of legacy that the 70s team had and, and the Steelers are, are now back at being a, a brand name because of this guy and obviously that makes this the emotional significance of this big because Ben Roethlisberger as I said a lot of Steelers fans only know Ben Roethlisberger they've rooted for number seven their whole lives and so this is the last time potentially to see him in Heinz Field in Pittsburgh playing on the North Shore and all that great stuff so this is significant for Pittsburgh, and, and it's going to be significant for the players. It's obviously going to be significant for Ben, and more importantly, it's certainly significant for the coaches and the fans. I think the the fans are, are going to come out, and, and this is probably going to be Ben's. I would expect it to be Ben's last game. Um, he pretty much, he, as you said, he hinted it. So it, it, the emotional significance just for what this guy's meant to the organization from 04 to now is huge. Uh, I mean, the longest period of relevancy probably for this franchise in their entire history. So that's the type of stuff you get when, when you get a guy like Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. His dominance over Cleveland is no secret and and it's tied to his Ohio roots. And, and I, I've always respected the quarterback, the way he's been able to reinvent himself several times. And, you know, he was the ultimate pocket extender uh, in his, in his peak years where it was the most from a fan's perspective watching him not supporting the the Steelers, it was really, really frustrating in the same sense Lamar is, where you thought you had him down and he found – and it's a different sort of frustrating because Lamar is a different player. But it's a different thing where you thought you had this guy sacked. He would find a way to extend plays, drift in the pocket, come up, step through. It was just infuriating. At the peak of his powers, he was fantastic quarterback. The stats are – are there to back up uh, a, a great a great football player, and um, it's sort of the end of an era. I mean, I think Rogers is Rogers and Brady are holding on to the end of an era at that position. You know, between the Mannings and and Breeze and all of these guys that that tied. You know, guys like you and me, Nick. I mean, we grew up watching these guys, man. Like this is these are the quarterback generation we grew up watching. And when Brady's done, maybe in 13 years or whenever he decides to actually quit playing football or 
Rodgers. It's going to be different. There's a good group of young guys that are going to carry it on, but it just will signal the end of an era. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like with Ben, he just never thought it was going to happen. He's going to keep playing forever. You know, it's never, it was like from a perspective again of somebody in the AFC North, it's like, when's this guy going to retire and, and, and having it creep up on you. It's like, even though you kind of could see it coming, it was, it's just weird when it actually arrives. It's going to be weird seeing somebody else play quarterback consistently for Pittsburgh and, and try to be the future of that, of that, uh, of that franchise at the position, because we've for so long, known number seven, as the quarterback in Pittsburgh. So it'll be weird, even for those not directly involved with following or covering that franchise. Let's talk about that. Cause that's a huge thing looming. Do you, what's your vibe, Nick? I mean, do you get the vibe they're going to try to go? I mean, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is really leaving green Bay, but they could go out and swing for, for, uh, for Russell Wilson or, you know, Watson, whatever you want to make of that situation. If he's around, uh, if that situation gets cleared up by the summertime, I mean, do you expect them to go swinging big after a veteran do you think they go middling veteran, maybe a Cousins type, or do you think they really try to draft a quarterback? Or do you, there's the other final option here, which is go with what's in-house and try to make what's in-house with Mason and Dwayne work. I'm, I'm curious where the vibe is as they're approaching the end of this year. Well, I think the overall arc that we have heard from Mike Tomlin all year, he's been dropping very subtle hints throughout his Tomlin Tuesday press conferences, is that I, I he wants a mobile quarterback. He really wants a mobile quarterback to come into the franchise, modernize the offense, give it a different look, because obviously right now they don't have anything with that. And he really has been talking about the impact of quarterback mobility. So if there's one thing I know that they're going to go after, this quarterback is going to have to have mobility as a very big integral aspect of his game. So that obviously lessens the candidates that you can pick from. So I tend to think that Mike Tomlin is a guy that sees his roster right now. He sees the retooling they're doing. He sees the issues that they have. And he thinks, man, I don't think we're a quarterback away. And, and I think that's very much a, a thing that he is feeling right now. You can kind of feel it in the apprehensiveness as, as he talks about the talent, the personnel on his team. Uh, so I would expect, I'll say this, I think a veteran quarterback seems likely. Uh, and, and it wouldn't surprise me, I think, if the right situation came. And, and, you know, again, Russell Wilson, as you said, if he really wanted to come to Pittsburgh and or he was on the market, I think that would be a, an avenue they would explore. Uh, I certainly think that Aaron Rodgers, again, and I agree with you, I don't think he'll leave Green Bay, but if he came up and, and said, I want to come play for Mike Tomlin and, and I want to do that, I think they'd go get him. Watson's the same deal, but I tend to think they're going to go because if we're talking realistic stuff, until I actually hear that Russell Wilson is going to be traded, until I actually hear that Aaron Rodgers is going to be actually traded, until I actually hear the Steelers are interested in Deshaun Watson, I, I would say I think you know guys like Tarod Taylor, uh, Marcus Mariota, someone in that kind of camp, the, the veteran mobile quarterback camp, makes sense as a bridge guy for the Steelers because they could go bridge, draft a quarterback, they could just get a bridge guy and retool the offensive line and kind of go all in on that, draft a corner, get strong around them, and then draft the quarterback in 2023 and do that. I think that's maybe their preferred strategy, I think, right now. I think they want a veteran because I think while Tomlin feels like this roster has pieces that he can work with, I think he thinks he needs to strengthen it around the quarterback. And maybe he feels like with a guy like Taylor or maybe a rekindling of Mariota, to maybe bring Mariota in to battle with Mason Rudolph, for example, 
you get an you get an idea of of kind of what you can build and maybe this team can be a little bit more competitive than you would think in 2022 you know if you kind of retool that offensive line and get things going so that's my kind of feel. I think they're going to go with the veteran quarterback in one way or another, and they might go vet and draft one. It's possible that they double prong this strategy, but I I tend to think that they're going to they're going to go with a mobile veteran quarterback, and and that's that's definitely what I think the smoke is is kind of going to. Whether that's Russell Wilson or whether that's Marcus Mariota, Tarod Taylor, whoever, that's kind of what I feel they're going to do. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's going to be one of the most interesting subplots of the NFL season, just partly because in two decades we haven't seen them replace the position, so how they attack it will be, uh, you know, something that we as Cleveland fans particularly closely follow because we haven't seen Pittsburgh in a dilemma at quarterback in a significant amount of time. So as you look at... The other position I think that's important is wide receiver. It it's since the sense I get, and as we go into this game, um, you know Deontay's becoming everything we all kind of thought he was going to become when you saw him early. Cleaned up the drop issues, having a nice year. He seems like the future of the room. The other two, I think it gets a little more interesting. Claypool has got a he's got more of his rookie contract to work with, but there's. You know, some immaturity stuff going on, and I'm from the outside. I'm gonna let you open up about Claypool and what's going on with that, and whether he's developing into a full receiver or not. And then Juju, I know he's hurt dealing with that, but is he no longer a part of the future here? I'm curious, kind of what you think the wide receiver room looks like, and not 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 only, you know, we could talk about how they're going, you know, they're playing right now, but kind of looking at what that looks like in the future too. It's a very interesting discussion about the receiver room because I think. The only guy, as you kind of mentioned in, in your prelude there, I think the only guy you're certain of is Deontay Johnson, who's really had his breakout year. He is your alpha top dog receiver. But when you look at Claypool, for example, he's a very interesting case. Second year guy, talented. Not many guys are 6'4", 230 and run a 4'4", 2. It's just it's very rare. And, and so Claypool, the, nat- the, nat- the natural tools that this guy has – and just the wow moments. He had two amazing catches against Kansas City last week where you were like, 
oh my goodness, there's Chase Claypool. And he has those every now and then. And it feels like Claypool just needs to get things consistent. But they play him so much at the Z. And I think they're quickly finding out he's not a full-time Z. Because he's not a guy that can consistently stack and separate. He doesn't really beat press that well. He's big, but he doesn't always play to his size. He seems to be much more comfortable, actually, in a big slot role. And I think they're going to experiment with that more and more, maybe towards the end of this year. They started it a little bit last week. Over the past few weeks, he's taken, I think, more snaps in the slot than he has in his entire career over these past few weeks. So this is a guy that is starting to kind of carve out a role as a big slot, which makes it interesting because if you are a middle-of-the-field buster like that with Claypool with his speed and size and you're that mismatch, well, that complicates things with Juju, as you kind of said, because he is the big slot. He's the physical guy. So I don't know what they're going to do with Juju. Now, I think they love Juju, and I think they love the personality. I think they love the leadership he brings. I think they like his skill set, his physical skill set as a chain mover. Uh, I think they think he's got a diverse route tree from the slot. I think that's something they're trying to figure out is how can we make the slot a more dangerous position in our offense because what what the teams are doing right now, and it's partially on Ben, but it's also partially on the fact that the slot receivers, we know it's Ray Ray McLeod right now, is there's no vertical threat from the slot. And so because Claypool has speed and size, he can actually threaten you vertically. Juju could do it because he could make the contested catches. So if they can maybe back off the linebackers and hit those cover two shots down the middle of the field, that could be something. I, I think that's going to be the interesting thing, how they configure this slot rule and, and what do they do with the Z position. So if they, I would guess, and this is my guess, I think the Steelers are going to be looking for speed at the position. Maybe a, a quicker, shiftier guy that can work in the slot but work at the Z as well and be very, very much a threat to burn you deep to keep defenses honest, to keep the safeties honest, to make sure you can open up that middle of the field in different ways. I think they need speed, and I think they're going to get speed, and in that way it opens up things for Claypool. And and it wouldn't surprise me, even if Juju comes back, you know, if they draft a very fast receiver. Because I think, you know, they've talked about this many times. Is You know, they, 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 know, they know how defenses are playing them. And they said, we just can't crack it. We don't have the vertical threat to crack this. So – you know, Claypool's our best guy right now. We're going to try it out, but we don't know if he's going to be long-term answer there. So I'm thinking they're going to draft a, a speedy receiver, and even if they bring Juju back, and I think Juju coming back is like 50-50 right now. It's going to depend on his offers and free agency, but I think he likes Pittsburgh. The organization likes him. If they take care of him, it wouldn't surprise me if he comes back. Um, but their first priority is going to be Minka Fitzpatrick. So we'll see. Um, but I think that overall – I think the Steelers are going to add speed to this room in some way. And and I think that they're working through Claypool's maturity issues and his consistency issues. They're trying to find a spot for him as he works through it. Very talented football player. Obviously, you can't give up on him just yet. Not even close to it. But uh, you've got to find a comfortable role for him on the field to maximize his abilities. Yeah, well said. Can't give up on him yet. Too many rare traits. But I do feel like uh, there's a pressing need to figure out some of the immaturity stuff that has creeped up. I, I, I think that can come with age, but I think that it's pretty obvious, not just public groans, but I think Tomlin's kind of been groaning about it a little bit, too, from afar. I could be wrong, Nick, but is the immaturity stuff bubbled to the surface more than more than just uncomfortable? Is it, is it a serious thing there? Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, Tomlin has talked about how, you know, he is he is kind of talking with Claypool and he's addressing this in the locker room. but. You know, there, there's just things that, that kind of come up that, that I've noticed, you know, with, with Claypool. And it's not just, you know, 
the, the first down signal against Minnesota. It's not the dumb taunting stuff. It's not the the Browns are going to get clapped stuff. He just sometimes has very – in situations, he doesn't read things correctly, and he doesn't always think – he's a guy that you can tell one of the smartest guys in that locker room. He He's a guy that has the, the decisive thing. He sees all angles of everything. He, he knows what the defense is doing to stop him, and he knows how to beat it. He's a guy that studies hard and everything. There are very good traits there for Chase Claypool, but this immaturity stuff, you know, it pops up in the locker room. I remember uh, this summer, just about in August, as they were ramping up for their final preseason game, he got to a fight with Minka Fitzpatrick in practice. And usually I'm like, okay, that doesn't really matter. It's, 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 it's football. It's, it's a game with emotional players. The, these men are competitive in, in their fights. But there felt like there was a little bit of, of extra sting on that one, um, especially when Minka Fitzpatrick was asked about it. He kind of sidestepped it and didn't really say much. Um, about Claypool, you know, it, he was literally asked whether the thing smoothed over, and he, he essentially didn't answer, which makes me think there's a little bit of something there. And it was a pretty bad fight, not not just, you know, leaders getting in this guy's face and, and kind of really getting to him and then Tomlin having to address the team and everything. It, it got pretty ugly. Um, so there are many things I think Claypool is showcasing that are immaturity-wise definitely concerning. It's, it's bubbling up, and I think, as you said, I think Tomlin's getting a little bit tired of it. You can kind of see it when he gets questions about him, especially the one about the the music in practice. You could just tell he was done with it. Yeah, the music one stands out, man. That was that was uh, Tomlin's great for sound bites too. But it's just like from again, we're at the outside looking in, and uh, Claypool's he's too talented to to let this stop being you know the detriment to a career that this guy could have. I'm, I mean, listen from a Cleveland perspective, if he wants to go off the rails, Nick, we don't have any problem, but. From, from the perspective of football players figuring out and being good football players with what God's given them, he's too good to let that happen. Is James, James Washington on his way out? Does that feel like that that's coming to an end? Yeah, he's gone. He's liking tweets right now. Steeler fans saying he's underutilized and everything, and I, I think that speaks about as clearly as anything can. He's a guy, though, that just all, all year, you know, the, the trade request back in the summer, didn't deny it. He's a guy that you always felt was – maybe a little bit underutilized, but as he's kind of played more and more, he just he's just a guy. Like He doesn't do a ton of things. His skill set from college didn't really translate. I, I think James Washington's gone. They don't really have a, a feel for him. The speedy guy that I was talking about, the Z position, that's what they wanted James Washington to be, but he never ended up. The stacking skills, the tracking skills, the contested catch skills never consistently translated to the NFL level, and he can't beat press and can't get consistent separation. So I think he's on his way out of Pittsburgh. Fryermuth having a nice season. I think he did. He was he on the COVID list recently. He'll be back for this one, right? Or, or what was going on there? He had a concussion, um, second concussion in three weeks, and you know, hopefully, he doesn't get another one anytime soon, and, and he's good there. But he should be back this week. Um, he he's practicing. So, you know, Fryermuth's a guy that's been really good for them. And I think they really missed him last week. And, again, I know that was a 26-point loss. It's 36-10. to 10, But Pat Fryermuth on third down is their chain mover. He is their, he is their juju replacement. He's a very reliable guy. He catches literally everything just about. Um, he, he's smooth. He, he's grown as a blocker as the entire season's come on. He's, he's been moving around more as the season comes on. As he gets more comfortable, he'll play anything from H-back to – to the Y, to the F, um, he'll he'll go 
all out to the Z or the X. He'll he'll move all around. This guy's a true formation kind of mover. He'll play traditional inline. He'll play anything, kind of ask him to play. So Freimuth has been a guy for them that that has really grown. He's diversified his route tree. Um, and you just look at him and you you say, you know, I I hate them. I hate, I hate when people make, you know, new player comparisons to old players from an organization. But when you talk about legitimate traits, there are a ton of Heath Miller-esque traits with Frymuth for sure. You know, just the sticky hands, the great body control, the, the absolute toughness, just the rock solid ability all around that he carries with himself with. So, yeah, I, I would think Frymuth is going to be a big part of this game plan as he returns. And he was in the first meeting as well and obviously had that big touchdown catch uh, that put the Steelers over the top. So expect Frymuth to be big, and, and he's been really good this year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think I think sometimes Nick the easy comparison is okay, right? Like uh you know, it's 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 a little simplified with the organizational ties, but he does a lot of the same things and like you said, he made the difference making catch in Cleveland when they came to Cleveland. So, uh, you know, that matters and the Cleveland doesn't always do fantastically covering tight ends. It'll be something to pay attention to with his return. I thought in the in the first matchup Pittsburgh dominated the line of scrimmage on both sides. And I visited a couple different Pittsburgh pods this week, and they a couple of them have said the same thing, which is after that Cleveland game where, like I said, I, I thought everybody anticipated Cleveland dominate the line of scrimmage, but it, like it was both sides of the ball, and Pittsburgh's offensive line stepped up and, and created nice, and they had a nice game plan. I really liked how they used some some uh, same-side power stuff, but like they they dominated the line of scrimmage, but it's been pretty inconsistent since that first Brown Steelers matchup. Talk to me about the O-line, where they're at, what they're looking like in the future, and all the above. Oh, man. Uh, this offensive line, since that game, has been a – it's been a long trip for this offensive line. It felt like during the middle of the season they were getting better and better. But ever since, you know, they, they beat the Ravens. And then ever since that game, they've taken steps back and back and back and back. And obviously, they lost Adrian Clem. He's now at Oregon. So they, they, they're they assistant O-line coach. They're O-line coach now. Um, so there's transition there. Uh, there's there's attrition coming into that room. Now, I think, you know, they, they, they might get Kevin Dotson back. We'll see. He's in his IR window. I think that would be huge for them if they can get Dotson back. He had a high ankle sprain against the Lions. Um, so you would you would really hope he can get back. He might be their best offensive lineman. Period. So it would be big for them. Uh, I think though overall, you know, this offensive line is just it, it was a young offensive line. It had upside, so you expected it to improve, but it hasn't. I you know even lately it hasn't even been inconsistent. They've just been downright bad, and so Ben's been getting hit. Now she doesn't really have room. Dan Moore, I think, has been the most encouraging of them all. I, I like his traits. He, he has good length. He moves pretty well. I really like how he mixes up his pass sets for where he's at. He just has a lot of trouble against wide nines. But I, I think, you know, the last time he played uh, Cleveland, he didn't. He did a decent job against Miles Garrett. You know, relatively speaking, for a fourth-round rookie left tackle that was thrown into the fire one-on-one -on -one against 
maybe the best edge rusher there is in the game. I mean, he did pretty good. So we'll see what they do this time. But he's had trouble against wide non-speed rushers all season, but he's starting to adjust and improve there. Dan Moore, though, did have a rough game against Melvin Ingram last week, so we'll, he's hoping to bounce back. But Trey Turner's been pretty bad. He's also been banged up. Kendrick Green, the, the center, has been terrible. He got he got benched and hurt last week. Um, J.C. Hasenauer is probably going to be the starting center. I, I don't even know if Green's going to play. He has a calf injury, but he, he was terrible, and he's been terrible. Just between kind of hit the, 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 the switch from guard to center, you know, only played four games at Illinois at, at center. He just doesn't have the offhand quickness yet. You know, guys get on him too quick, and, and with his lack of length as well, the guys are getting into his chest and, and really driving him back. And even with great pad level and great core strength and everything, good anchoring ability, he's just not able to overcome it because that offhand, that offhand is just it's just a dead in the water hand. It doesn't do anything right now. He's got to adjust to that. He's even had snapping issues. The whole transition for him has been tough. So I do wonder if, if maybe next year they move him back to guard and, and get a new center. We'll see. Shooks of for has been fine. He's been steady. Um, gets a few false start penalties here or there, but it, it is what it is. You know, he, he's nothing special. He's nothing too great. Um, he's not too bad. He's just steady even. He's a he's a solid swing tackle. So the Steelers' O-line has taken steps back. They're not a good run-blocking team. They really haven't been a good pass-blocking team recently. So they instead they were inconsistent as the season kind of drew on. But as we've gotten into the later portions, I would say they've honestly been downright bad. Let's switch over to the defense. It's uh, there's a couple things I want you to update us on. Is there there's some COVID stuff going on in the linebacker room, and then how are the injury front? How you know, how is the injury front looking with? You know, TJ's been dealing with a myriad of different things. How how Devin Bush is looking? Some just you know go go through the defense as best you can and what they're looking like for this weekend. Yeah, um, it, it's a banged up defense. Obviously, Chris Warmly just went on the COVID list. That's a big loss for the Steelers. He's been a, a really solid pass rusher. He's been very actually a nice surprise for them. You know, replacing Stephon Tuitt there, who obviously Tuitt and Alulu are, are out there out for the season. Um, and, and so the Steelers are, are kind of working through it right now, and, and they're banged up, as you said. Warmly has a groin, but he's now on the COVID list, so he'll probably miss. Monday's game, I would imagine Isaiah Bugs is on the COVID list still. We'll see if he gets activated sometime between now and, and Monday. Um, but this has been a D-line that's been banged up. And as, as you mentioned, you know, Highsmith stuck with some injuries, but Watt has. Watt had, has a groin twice this year. He had a knee and a hip injury. You know, TJ's been banged up all year. Um, he, he was on the COVID list as well at one point. You know, the fact that he he's doing what he's doing with, with that coming on, um, I mean, it's impressive. For TJ to say the least, um, I think he's I, I think he's he's getting healthier and healthier, and I think with a little bit of a longer week, you know, I think they I think they gave him Wednesday off, um, so so TJ could kind of just rest and, and get his body right. Um, so I think you know the groin injury is probably going to be better. Uh, I think he's he's going to look good. Hopefully, he can stay healthy for throughout the rest of the, the two games and, and potentially beyond if they get to that point. But but I think he's going to get healthier. I think he's going to come out and look pretty solid. But as you said, I think the linebacker room is the biggest one here with the COVID situation. Joe Schobert going on uh, the COVID list today. Devin Bush is still on that COVID list. Um, we don't know if he'll get activated. We'll see if, if Devin Bush ends up getting activated later this week from the COVID list. But right now, I mean, the, that room is Robert Spillane, Marcus Allen, and Ulysses, Ulysses Gilbert III. So guys, all guys that have had to play in recent weeks, all guys that have some experience. Spillane obviously started last year. 
after Bush tore his ACL. So he has plenty of experience, but that's a, that's a scary thought. It's an inexperienced room, but it's a room that's raw. It's, it's an athletic room. I'll say that Allen and, and, and Gilbert can fly. So, so that is interesting. Um, but they're going to have to somehow break these second level blocks that they're going to get from uh, the, the Browns, especially on those wide zone plays, you know, otherwise Chubb's just going to run one run wild on them. Um, in terms of the secondary, I mean, it's the healthiest position on the team easily. As you said, Joe Hayden's back from his foot injury. Um, they did lose Arthur Mallette, which was which is significant to a degree. They wanted the wrinkle. He's been their pseudo Mike Hilton replacement kind of all year. You know, he's blitzed off the edge. He, he's been a guy that they've, they've worked into an overhang role. Uh, he's kind of been, honestly, he's kind of been like a, a dollar uh, money backer at times when, when they use him almost off the edge as like a third backer. Um, and it's been some, in, they have some interesting looks there with Millette, but they don't have that obviously now with him on the COVID list. Um, so they don't have a replacement for him really either. Um, I will, the, the emergence of Akella Witherspoon in the secondary has been a really good surprise. You know, they traded for him from Seattle and over the past month or so, he's really come on very strong and play at a high level. He's now starting opposite Joe Hayden. I would expect Sutton to move into the slot with Mallette out. Uh, Trey Norwood still getting his, his run. And then Terrell Edmonds and Mika Fitzpatrick are holding it down on the back end as usual. So the Steelers are a defense that is banged up. It seems like the front four it continues to get injuries, and now the linebackers are in flux as well. The secondary is finally healthy, and they're actually feeling it, and they're playing it to at least a decent level, um, kind of being hung out of the drive by the front seven, to be quite honest with you. Um, but, but yeah, the Steelers' defense is, is one that's banged up and I think has just been wore down throughout the year, and, and they're, they're, they're really their performance speaks to that. The, the run game stuff stands out, Nick. I mean, is it tied to the linebackers? I know I saw a stat like since I think week 10, they've given up 38 runs of 10 plus yards, which is seven more than the second place team in the NFL. I would imagine the game plan here is you got to make Baker Mayfield, who is struggling as big as mightily as any quarterback in the NFL right now. You got to make him beat you. Is it a sellout situation for them to figure out the run game stuff? Because if you let, you know, it's not a secret. You let Cleveland get out in front of you running the ball. They they're, they're, they're a tough team to beat because they can put you away with the, the mixture of how they run it. So uh, I, I do I do find it curious that the run game stuff is struggling. I didn't know if it's tied to injuries or just sort of not meeting the expectations this year. Well, the linebackers are a big issue, but with the, the Steelers are playing more too high than they ever have under Mike Tomlin this year, which is something that obviously changes the run fits because they're, they're not a traditional too high team with how they've been playing kind of throughout his career. You know, they've played a lot of single high before with Minka, especially coming in. They played a ton of single high early last year with with Hilton on their blitzes, on their man-free stuff, and they, they love doing that. Um, but now, you know, with cover two, they're trying to limit explosive plays, keep everything in front of them, but it also complicates the running game. And, and the, the Steelers, here's the thing, it, because they have to play cover two because they don't trust their corners in man-to-man, because they don't trust, you know, 32-year-old Joe Hayden in man-to-man. They don't. They don't really trust the number two there because they don't trust those guys. They're playing in too high, trying to keep everything in front of them, give them safety help. Makes sense. But it doesn't make sense in the running game because, one, obviously the injuries on the defensive line with Alu-Alu, with Watt, with Hosmith, with all these guys being in and out, with with Tuit being out, and, and then even the backups of the backups of the backups getting hurt. It's been unbelievable how many guys have been hurt on this defensive line. Defensive line is, is getting blown off the ball. They're not – keeping the linebackers clean and the linebackers now have the onus on them of being block shedders. And that's never been Devin Bush's strength. It's really never been Joe Schobert's strength. 
is old. the only guy in in that room that is a good block a deconstructor of blocks is Robert Spillane. So maybe that lends itself to to good things this week with him probably getting the start um in some capacity. But but I think that's been the big thing. I think it's been the fact that you know they have to play too high because they that the secondary is is less I think it's it's, it's not as talented as it was last year, you know, with Nelson and Hilton and all of those guys and so they're playing more two high shells, and then because they have that, you know, the, the onus is put more on the front seven, but there's a banged-up D-line room that's getting blown off. So then the linebackers have to deconstruct blocks, and they can't do it. And when that kind of all comes together, and I can't forget missed tackling. They've, they've been a pretty poor tackling team throughout the year as well, where, you know, four-yard runs turn into to 10, even more explosive runs. It's it it's kind of what compounds everything you look at schematically. That's why they've struggled on the, in the run defense category, just because there's been so much going on. There's still been so many moving pieces. The communication hasn't even been stellar. So there have been just completely blown run fits where a guy was supposed to be in the C gap, but he's in the B gap, and the guy just goes straight through it. Or you you saw the the game against Minnesota where Dalvin Cook was just running through green grass with no one 15 yards around him. So. It's been it's been a rough season for them, largely due to those issues. So uh, the issues are, you know, the, uh, here's the thing. I, I don't think it's any secret that Pittsburgh plays better at home. Uh, I, I would I would imagine you feel the same way. I can't I can't imagine anyone feels differently. They ride off the emotion of that stadium and and the fans and and this one feels like it'll have even more than the usual. How are you? We'll close with this. How are you feeling about this one? Do you feel good about Pittsburgh getting it done at home? in front of the audience on the on the stage or is there like a little bit too much of we have to win this we feel like we need to win it for Ben because sometimes that stuff can be detrimental in a weird sort of way you know yeah well I certainly think I certainly think they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves and it's been talked about a lot you know this is Ben's final game we need to come out here play at a high level I think they're gonna rally around him and, and they've beaten some very good teams at home you know the Ravens obviously 2019 and that thriller um, beating the the Titans at home was a huge win for this team. Um, so they've had home games where they've really rallied, and, and they they haven't lost at home in a while. I think the last time they lost there was against Cincinnati um, back all the way in September. So it's been a while since the Steelers have, have lost at home. And, and I think one, one stat that just kind of is crazy to me, but it, it makes sense because, as you said, they feed off that crowd. You know, the, the, the fourth best red zone defense at home in the NFL, 44%. It spikes up all the way to like sixty four percent on the road, um, in terms of red zone defense. That's touchdowns only. So they're a very good red zone defense at home, and and they've proven that consistently. They did that a ton against Tennessee, where they forced four turnovers. They really just feed off that crowd. I think this is going to be a huge game. Obviously, the pressure is going to be on them. But if there's one thing I know about Mike Tomlin, the teams, and, and you know, I appreciate this about Mike Tomlin. Every time I, I kind of watch his teams play out on the football field. I appreciate when they're back against the wall and, and everyone's doubting them and, or they need to show up in a big moment in kind of that area, they do. And I do appreciate that about Mike Tomlin. And this is the type of game that Mike Tomlin's teams come out, they they show out, they have the big game they need. So, I, I mean, I, I think that, as you said, that could hurt them. But they oh, the whole narrative so far in the stats show they're better home right now. Mike Tomlin's teams in this situation – it's a perfect storm for the Steelers, I think, to come out here, put up a really inspired performance. And I'm not saying they're going to win because of that, but I am saying I think they're going to make this one a real close one. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously Cleveland couldn't get it done at home when Cleveland needed to get it done. It's an overwhelming challenge in Pittsburgh, given the circumstances, the way that crowd will be. If it's close, uh, it's probably not boding well for Cleveland, just because of, like I said, the, the the Browns have had an inability to get things done at any point. I think they've lost six games, maybe seven this year on a, on a possession. They just have not been able to rise to the challenge uh, in, in those sort of scenarios. So it uh, doesn't bode well for Cleveland. But I do think this game will not be high scoring. It can be ugly low scoring in terms of what defenses are, you know, what Cleveland's defense is doing, what Pittsburgh's defense is doing, and a couple struggling offenses. So at the at the bare minimum, Nick, I hope it includes a lot on the line. Hope Cincinnati doesn't pull off a miracle, and that would be the best outcome for everybody. But this game on Monday night is highly entertaining, but the pure, pure fact that the division's still out there for each team to grab. So appreciate your time, Nick. Tell everybody where they can find you again one more time before we split. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at FairballFB, F-A-R-A-B-A-U-G-H-F-B. All Steelers stuff over there. Get listen to the Locked On Pit podcast. Uh, if you want to listen to the Pit stuff, Kenny Pickett, whoever you might be, I, I will certainly talk about him throughout the draft process and also – Check out my steel stuff at Pittsburgh Source. Now I'm covering all that throughout the week. Cover it. Uh, cover the game live from Heinz Field. We'll do all that. So make sure to check me out there. Thanks again, Nick. Okay, that's a wrap for today, guys. We are back again uh, for your game day preview on Monday morning because it's a Monday night game. Don't forget that. We'll also post the roundtable on the Twitter channel tomorrow that we did earlier in the week on the OBR Twitch. Thanks to everybody for checking out today's show. Again, have a happy new year. Tons of football on, tons of time with family. Take advantage of that. Hopefully it's relaxing for you and yours. Appreciate Nick again joining the show today. Make sure you check out all of his content and uh, pay attention to Nick because it's going to be a fun, interesting uh, offseason for Pittsburgh. A lot of big decisions coming for that franchise, so it'll be good to have somebody on your timeline who can fill you in on the thought process behind those things. Again, Happy New Year, everybody. Close with the usual. Go Browns. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.